Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the St. Louis Cardinals. And to do that, we are joined by Chris Trankel. Chris has been kind of a jack-of-all-trades for us here at BA for a few years now. Uh, he took on the Cardinals Chapter 4. It's the chapter I used to do, J.J. Cooper used to do. So uh, we've all had a lot of experience with this system, and, and they're a fun system to talk about and a fun organization to talk about. Chris, the Cardinals, I mean, as we know, this is one of the most stable and successful organizations in Major League Baseball. They made the postseason for a third straight year last year. They made it to the wild card game against the Dodgers, and we're in it until the very end. Chris Taylor's walk-off home run eliminated them. But you go back, this is a team now that has had a winning record every year since 2008, and they had that losing record in 2007. Before that, they didn't have a losing record since 1999. So this millennium, since the year 2000, they have had one losing season, um, which is a, just an incredible testament to really every aspect of the organization, uh, drafting, player development, uh, you know, major league coaching, everything through multiple regimes. There was a little bit of controversy at the end of the season. They surprisingly fired Mike Schilt uh, during the World Series and uh, after Schilt had stepped in for the fired Mike Matheny in 2018 and led the Cardinals to a lot of success. Um, so that was sort of a, a weird moment just because we're not used to that type of thing happening with the Cardinals. Again, this has been such a stable organization for so long. But even with that, there's a lot of talent on this team. Uh, new manager Oliver Marmol's inheriting a really, really talented group of players at the major league level. Where do things stand with the farm system right now? Because again, they've graduated a lot of guys. They've traded a lot, away a lot of guys, as we've discussed. But even maybe, quote-unquote, losing some of those trades, this, this is still a pretty good team that, again, is just consistently winning ballgames. Yeah, no, definitely. And I would say, in addition to that, you know, it, it really helps to have two of your three best prospects be guys who are going to be major league ready in 2022, and Nolan Gorman and Matt Liebertor. Um And, you know, the other thing, going back to the major league team, is – this is a team that didn't have Dakota Hudson for essentially the whole year. Jack Flaherty dealt with some injuries. Carlos Martinez had a really bad year after, you know, being an all-star previously. So I think coming into the season, you have the expectations that this team is going to make the playoffs again. Then you look at the division. I mean, teams like the Cubs and Pirates that are in full rebuild. Really, it's you'd imagine it would be basically them and the Brewers contending for that top spot. And I think it really does help to have guys like Gorman and Libertor who are so close to the majors. I think one of the most interesting things to watch coming into the season is, you know, what do the Cardinals do with Gorman? They've had him playing second base now because of Nolan Arenado. Um, you know, they seemed pleased with the progress that he made there, but I know there are people at least outside the organization that aren't so sure that he's going to be with the team past the trade deadline. So I think that's one really interesting storyline to follow heading into this year. Yeah, absolutely. I want to dive into to Gorman. Uh, Libertor, you know, you kind of made the point there. We're having him so close to major leagues. Uh, really, again, it's kind of an incredible statistic. The Cardinals won 90 games last year. They had one pitcher throw more than 110 innings last year, and that was the ageless Adam Wainwright. Uh, Kwon Gun Kim threw 106, and that was it. Everyone else was well below 100 innings. We saw them at the trade deadline go get some veterans. You saw them bring in John Lester and Jay Happ, who struggled where they were before, and then they pitched much better for the Cardinals. So, yeah, this is an organization that, you're right, had a lot of things go wrong for it, especially on the pitching side last year. 
and they still won 90 games. So uh, again, it's a testament to, to what they have organizationally. Uh, Gorman and Libertor, I, I do want to touch on them. But it's interesting because these are two clear-cut top 100 prospects who got to AAA, performed. Uh, in Gorman's case, really had, had a really, really good year that I think was underrated in some ways. People were so focused on the position change, they didn't really fully appreciate how good of an offensive year he had, given he was 21 years old in AA and AAA. But the guy who's number one on this top 10 right now is Jordan Walker. Walker was their first round pick in 2020, just known as a big hulking slugger type coming out of high school. And again, first round pick, people liked him, certainly someone that a lot of people thought very highly of, but this was not a a kid that was considered, you know, a top, top, top dude in his draft. Uh, He went 21st overall. It's not like this was a a top 10 overall pick and really was not someone people thought was, you know, a slam dunk top 100 prospect immediately as soon as he was drafted. Again, really good player, but back third of the first round. And he goes out this year and has one of the loudest years uh, of any minor leaguer, just in terms of average on base slugging percentage, especially for a 19 year old making his professional debut what were some of the things that came up about Jordan Walker that made him so special in your discussions with evaluators and ultimately what vaulted him over Libertor and Gorman, who again, were also first rounders, super highly touted who are further up the chain. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's a great question. And the thing with Walker, um, you know, you can look at just the, the plus plus power exit velocity is up to 160 miles per hour in the first month. And that's certainly really impressive, but, I think what really stood out when talking to evaluators was this is a guy who just makes so many adjustments on the fly, especially for a 19 year old, you know, that's pretty rare to see a guy of of his age be able to improve so quickly. Um, This is a guy that is unlikely to make the same mistake twice. And, you know, you just saw him continue to hit everywhere he was last year. I mean, he hit 374 in 27 games at, at low A goes up to Peoria and, it's 292 and just continues to really swing the bat well. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, every, uh, most people I talked to were pretty convinced that this is a guy that's going to hit more than 30 home runs year to year at the major league level. Um, you know, there are some discussions about whether or not he's going to be best suited for third base uh, as he matures. I think a lot of people feel like he's going to move to first, but you know, the bat is so impressive. The power is so impressive that you have no questions that he's going to be able to hit enough to profile there. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, ability to make adjustments. Jordan Walker was committed to Duke out of high school. He's a very, very smart kid, and he's able to apply that to the baseball field. And, uh, yeah, I get, just looking through the scout reviews, you know, what jumps out is, again, everyone sees the, the man strength he has at 19. It's just so, so, so rare to see a kid this young, this strong. But it's not like it's a, a big, stiff dude who takes the big hacks, and then, you know, if he makes contact, it goes a long way. We talk about his ability to make adjustments. And he's pretty athletic for his size. And that's what kind of came up is that even though there's a sense that because he's just so big and as he's going to get older, he probably will have to move to first base. His footwork is pretty solid. He's a decent athlete. I mean, the ability to make adjustments like he does, it's both mental and physical and and he can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, you're certainly right. He is a really good athlete for his size. Um, You know, uh, evaluators noted that he improved defensively as the year went on. And he does do a really good job of controlling the strike zone, especially for a guy that is six foot five and is, you know, you'd look at and just assume that he's this big hulking slugger who maybe has some swing and miss, but he's much more than that. Absolutely. So within that context, when you were having discussions with 
high-level officials and evaluators, both inside and outside the Cardinals organization, what put him above Libertor and Gorman? Just because I feel like this trio is so strong, you could say all the same things about him and put him at three and no one would think any worse of him. What elevated him above those two? Well, I, I think it, you're right. It was really close. Um, and, you know, even when you look at our top 100 prospects ranking, there's not a huge gap between Walker and Gorman, nor is there a huge gap between Gorman and Libertor. I think what it was is just, you know, you don't see guys like this at 19 that are that are this skilled, this talented, this able to hit right away. And just it feels like the sky is the limit for him for what he can do on the field. And I think that was something that really stuck out with talking to, to uh, evaluators was the fact that, you know, this kid has all the talent in the world and they just think he's going to keep getting better and that he's a really special talent, special bat. Yeah, and I think something that was, you know, particularly promising as well is he did his damage in two pitcher-friendly environments. You start in Palm Beach. I mean, the Florida State League, it's low A Southeast now, but the league formerly knows the Florida State League. I mean, that's where offense goes to die. And this guy <laughs> made those parks look small. 17 extra base hits, 27 games, quickly promoted to Peoria. And even though it was, you know, the season started in May, he got up there in June, so he didn't have to deal with that freezing cold of April, it's still not easy. And he went up there and, and again, it's average, it's on base, it's power, it's everything. Um, the strikeouts were definitely not too high at all for a power hitter. So there's a lot of excitement around him and good reason to be. Uh, you do mention that he probably ends up at first base and it's not going to be a problem because if you can hit like he can hit, you can still be an all-star caliber first baseman. What would you say were the general impressions of his play at third base? I, I know you said it got better as the year went on, but just overall, how is he seen defensively? Uh, well, you know, he has good footwork um, and above average arm strength, but I think the instincts and reactions are what's a little bit down for the position. Um, you know, might have some, a little bit to do with the size. Obviously, he's still a good athlete, but the, the one good thing that I would say for him is the work ethic gives him a chance to at least stick there. I mean, everybody talks about how hard of a worker he is. But like I said, he's definitely going to have to improve his instincts and reactions uh, to, to really be able to stick there long term. Uh, yeah, certainly an exciting player. And again, even if he doesn't stick there, uh, he, he's the type of potential hitter that it's just not going to matter. You know, studs are studs. And, and by all accounts, he has a chance to be a really, really, really dangerous and impactful hitter. And the Cardinals have a, a long history of, uh, of successfully acquiring talent, really through every avenue. But uh, if he can be the next homegrown star, that's something the entire organization will certainly be very, very grateful to have. It was only a few years ago, Nolan Gorman was the top power-hitting third-base prospect in this system. Uh, he was their first-round pick in 2018, and, and he was considered the best power prospect in his high school class. And it was really interesting because he got off to such a loud start in his pro debut in the Appalachian League, went up to Peoria at the end of that season, and, and it wasn't great, but it's just still the overall debut that year in 2018 was so loud. People were just so, so, so high on him. And then 2019, his first full season, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. And again, he was in two very, very difficult environments for hitters. He started, that was back when Peoria was still low A. So he was in the Midwest League during the cold months. And then he moved up to Palm Beach. And again, it's just, that's where power and offense goes to die. So his overall slash line wasn't great in 2019. And I feel like he kind of went from people were 
almost overly excited unfairly to the kid based off a very small sample at the lowest levels. Then he struggled his first full season and people jumped off a little bit too much. Uh, it came back out this year. And again, as a 21 year old had a really, really good season, double a triple a, you know, hit for power, hit for average, got on base. What were the overall reviews of Nolan Gorman and, and where he is now, especially in the context of the season he put up in the midst of a position switch? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as, as far as the back goes, everybody's really impressed with it. Um, you know, the, the things that he has to work on is he is a really aggressive hitter, which, you know, is pretty common with power hitters like that. He doesn't walk much, and his chase rates kind of is high on pitches off of the plate. But overall, this is a guy who has hulking power, and he's going to be able to hit enough, make enough contact to really access that power. Um, so there's really no question that this guy – can hit 30 home runs at the big league level. I think that's that's pretty um, pretty much the consensus opinion when, when speaking to evaluators. Uh, and, you know, the bat is going to be the carrying tool, and it should be able to do the job. And then, yeah, as far as the defense goes, I know people within the organization were impressed with his footwork, uh, the range, the actions they thought were better, they thought they improved as the season went on. Is he ever going to be an above-average defender there? Possibly not, but, you know, he's – is a decent enough defender there where you will certainly be happy with it considering how big the bat is. You made a comment at the start of the show that I thought was interesting about whether or not he'd still be in the organization. Obviously, Nolan Arenado is not going anywhere. He's their long-term third baseman. And Tommy Edmond is a gold-gloved second baseman. And we've seen the Cardinals, after years of being a below-average defensive team, in the middle of last decade especially, their defense was really problematic. They've become one of the better defensive teams in Major League Baseball, especially on the infield. And that's part of the reason why guys like John Lester and Jay Happ, they were good fits when they came over and, and really improved. They had such a good defense behind them. And, you know, Edmund's a big part of that. He had a, an okay year, you know, he had 262, 11 homers, stole 30 bases. But look, the on-base percentage was lower than you'd like it to be. Slug is never really going to be his game. And he's certainly a, a nice player. It just kind of depends on what you want to trade offense for defense. What is Nolan Gorman's future role for the Cardinals? I think that's a good question. And I think, um, you know, that's something that we're probably not going to have too much clarity on until the season really gets underway. I mean, with the DH coming to the National League, you know, he seems like a pretty good candidate for that with possibly getting a little bit of time in at second base. Um, but the, the good news is, you know, that lineup is has some big bats in it um, in, in guys like Arenado, Goldschmidt, O'Neill, and you got, you'd expect that Carlson continues to improve this year. So I think um, I would imagine that Edmonds probably going to be the starter to start the season, uh, but I would not be surprised at all to see Gorman get some, some DH duties to start the year. Yeah. Again, he, Spent a good chunk of last year at Double A. Um, you know, he did spend the majority of the year at Triple A. Got seventy six games up there. So, you know, there will be some options. We'll see what he does in spring training. Uh, but either way, I certainly think that Cardinals fans are in good shape having two hitters of this caliber at the top of their system. And then Matthew Libertor is the other top 100 prospect in the system. And he had one of the more interesting years in the minor leagues. He jumped straight to AAA after never pitching above low A, which was obviously just an enormous, enormous jump. 
And there's a lot of eyes on him, A, because he was considered arguably the top prep pitching prospect in his draft class. And then, of course, he was traded for Randy Rosarena. And the way Randy Rosarena has taken off since going to Tampa Bay, that means there's always going to be a lot of eyes and a lot of pressure on, on Libertor. And, you know, understandably, he's he struggled at the outset. I mean, you're jumping from low A to triple A. And, you know, the alternate site, there's value there. And he certainly picked up some things and everyone did. But um, you can't simulate the level of competition that you're getting in actual games. And I mean, it was a huge, huge, huge jump. And what was interesting was we saw him struggle early and then he went to pitch for team USA's qualifying team in Florida, as they were attempting to qualify for the Olympics, he made two starts there. And I, I was there covering that team and both starts. What was interesting was the fastball wasn't that great. It was 89, 93. It was kind of flat and it was hittable uh, even to hitters on Nicaragua, which is not a team full of prospects or ex, you know, accomplished uh, big leaguers like some other teams in the tournament were, but his three secondaries, curveball, slider, changeup were so good. He could locate them. He could pitch with them, you know, in, out, up, down. He was still able to be effective. And I was like, okay, the fastball is a little concerning, but anytime you see a guy this young, this athletic, who can pitch off his secondaries like he can, I think that's encouraging. And then over the course of the year, we saw the fastball velocity start to tick up. Again, I saw him 89-93 twice. Those were the velos we were getting early on. But then as the year went on, we started hearing he's more 92-95, touching some sevens. And by the end of the year, he finished really, really strong. Where is Libertor now? And just his progression over the course of the year, how did Cardinals officials see it and opposing evaluators? Well, I think the Cardinals officials were, were really happy with the way that he made adjustments at the AAA level. Like you said, the basketball velocity was down and he really struggled to start the year. But as that velocity started to tick up, he really started to pitch a lot better. His last 10 starts, he had a 267 ERA, and he really managed to, uh, you know, improve as the season went on. I think opposing evaluators were, were kind of shocked as you were talking about the fastball velocity. I spoke to guys who were like, yeah, we saw him 95, 97 in 2020 spring training. and we wondering, you know, what happened because it is 89 to 93. But I think that, most most evaluators are still really impressed with the three off speeds, with the fact that he's got really good pitch ability. He's got above average control. And this is a guy who, you know, you feel pretty confident that he will be a starter. Is he going to be a number two starter? Is he going to be a number three starter? I think he's probably more of a number three to number four kind of starter. But you know for a fact that his, his floor is pretty high because of the fact that he has that pitch ability. He has the three above average off speeds that he can land uh, comfortably. And because, you know, if, especially if the fastball is able to, to, to stay in more of the four to 95 range, you feel really comfortable about where this guy is. Yeah. And we talk so much about, you know, mental adjustments and you kind of hit on it. His final 10 starts in AAA last year, he had a two, six, seven ERA compare that to where he was at the start of the year, his first dozen starts, it was 5.21. I mean, he, he was really, really struggling. Gave up a lot of home runs. I mean, guys were hitting him for average or hitting him for power. It just, it was rough, but it was also kind of what you'd expect from a guy trying to go from low to triple A and just the ability to make adjustments, uh, both mentally and physically, it, it bodes well. And, and this is where I think it's important to remember when you look at our organization talent rankings, this Cardinal system, did drop slightly out of the top half in baseball, which is rare for them. They've pretty consistently been in the top half for the better part of a decade now. Uh, they checked at number 18, but 
some of that is just because this is not as deep of a system as it used to be. You still have three pretty premium prospects at the top. And I think when you have a 91 team in the majors, those two things combined, it's, it's a pretty good place to be as, as you've mentioned earlier. And I just think bears repeating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you you really hit the nail on the head there. It is the lack of depth at the back of the system is really what hampers it. But I think you could go to 29 other teams in baseball and they'd all happily take the three guys at the top of the system. So, and you know, when you are a team like the Cardinals, you'll, you'll live with that. You know, if this was a team like the Orioles, you'd be, there'd be more of a problem with the system being, uh, having that lack of depth in there, but you know, for the Cardinals, it actually works well. And especially with the fact that the two of the guys are so close to, to the majors and being able to help this team during what's going to likely be another playoff push this year. Absolutely. All right, Chris, I want to get into the rest of the system, the rest of the top 10 and some of the depth uh, as we talked about. Uh, First, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back with Chris Trankel breaking down the St. Louis Cardinals farm system. Chris, we talked about the top three prospects in this system, all of whom are top 100 guys, and all guys who are in the top 50 of the top 100. And there is a little bit of a depth drop-off, but there are still some good players in this system. The top three were very clearly the top three, as we've discussed. As you moved into this four to 10 group, how did you kind of suss out who, who's four and five, who comes into the top 10? How did that process kind of unfold and ultimately what led you to make the decisions you did in, in your rankings? Well, um, this, the start of the process was, was a little bit tough because as you go through this top 10, it's, it is a new hope. It's a lot of new names in there. Um, guys like Michael McGreevy, who was the first round pick in 2021, Lars Newbar, who, really jumping onto the scene this year after not being much of a prospect previously. Uh, Joshua Baez, the second round pick. Um, And Alec Burleson, who uh, was the uh, draft pick in 2020 as well. And really the biggest uh, separator for me was Michael McGreevy is a guy who has uh, three average to above average, three average pitches, one's above average, one is plus and 70 control. So we're talking about a guy who is about as advanced and polished of a college arm as you're going to get. And I see him being a guy that's going to rise through the system quickly. I think the Cardinals feel that way as well. 
and opposing evaluators were impressed with the way that he is just able to so easily throw strikes. He always gets into comfortable pitchers counts and he's really aggressive attacking hitters. So he was, was the number four prospect for me because of that, because, you know, you have uh, the, the pitches there, you have the good pitch combination and the fact that you just have the advanced pitch ability to go along with it. Yeah, I got to write up Michael McGreevy actually out of both high school and college, and uh, he's he's certainly an impressive player. I want to hit on Ivan Herrera, the catcher here, who's number five prospect in the system, because so many guys in this top ten had good years, and thus that's why they're top ten prospects. He's someone who really, really struggled last year on both sides of the ball. And I remember writing him up when I was in the Cardinals system, and it was always a really advanced hitter. You know, the catching sometimes is not as focused as it needs to be, but the physical skills are there. Then this past season, again, on both sides of the ball, really just everything kind of went in the direction you didn't want it to go. Um, The bat was not nearly as potent as it had been. The defensive strides people were hoping to see did not play out on the field. Where is Ivan Herrera as a prospect right now? Just because there was a point where, I mean, people considered him a future top 100 prospect and and one of the better young catchers in all the minor leagues and, and potentially the heir apparent to Yadi Molina. Sure. Well, I think there is an argument to be made that there's no prospect who needs to have a better year this year in the system than Ivan Herrera after the 2021 season. I mean, I talked to, to evaluators who were really high on him after the 2019 season, and they felt like it was almost like watching a different guy at Springfield. Obviously, he had a career-high 17 home runs, but we're talking about an extreme hitter's park. The exit velocities were down, and it was really like the least amount of contact that he's made in his career. And then you combine that with the fact that, like you said, concentration was sometimes an issue with him as a receiver. And that really reared its face again this season. I mean, he had a lot of drops, uh, pass balls, and the receiving uh, evaluators felt like it really it, uh, went backwards. So it was a really concerning year for him. And it'll be interesting to see how he comes out this season because he really needs to show improvement in every single area of his game right now. Yeah, and this is where the lost 2020 season affected so many players, both prospects and major leaguers, differently. And we saw some guys come out of 2020 looking like whole different players in a good way. Anthony Volpe is is kind of the prime example of that. And uh, there are other players who the lost year, um, they came back not looking anywhere near as good as they did. It kind of went the other way. And unfortunately, you know, going back and reviewing a lot of the reports we got on Herrera, I mean, it's it's kind of tough. Some of them are, just to be frank, it's kind of all bad. Um, you know, multiple drops, lack of focus, lack of intensity, lack of effort behind the plate. And then talk about the athleticism going backwards, you know, a little bit of power, but not liking the swing. And again, having written Ivan Herrera up, you're right. My first thought is this is not, this doesn't read like the same guy I wrote up for a couple of years, but I mean, how much of this is mental versus physical? It feels like a lot of it is mental, you know, I mean, the drops, the the intensity, the effort. It feels like a guy who, you know, it's, I'm, I don't want to try and diagnose anything that's going on here, but it just feels like a guy who was out of sorts in the 2021 season. And you'd really hope that in the off season, he is working on a plan to rectify that in 2022, because this is a guy who was really talented, like you said, who was on the verge of being a top 100 prospect. And just 
had about the, the worst possible year that it could have. So I think it really is mental more than it is physical at this point. Yeah, the, the phrase going through the motions comes up a couple of times from different evaluators who saw him throughout the year. So we'll see what he's able to do. Uh, on the plus side, so it's funny, someone else I wrote up a couple of years ago, and, and I actually want to take this a step back. So at the start of 2020, I wrote a story about Cardinals devil magic and their ability to take these mid to late round college players and turn them into everyday big leaguers who make all-star games or at the very least have long successful careers. And it looks like we might have the next version of that. And that's Lars Newbar. So Newbar being a Southern California guy, I actually saw him in high school when he was at El Segundo high school. And I wrote him up out of USC in 2018. And I remember at the time this was someone that people liked the physicality and the approach. I mean, 6'3", 215, strong, left-handed, you know, polished, patient approach. But he hit 254 his junior year. He hit 13 home runs in two seasons. I just did not ever translate the physical skills to the on-field production. And some of that was, at the time, USC as a program was a little bit of a mess. And so there was a lot of people – I remember talking to scouts. I said, you know, I think he might have just been getting bad coaching – if you get him into an organization and do some swing work with him, you could have a, a potential breakout. I, I even wrote in his report that he was considered a swing change candidate, a launch angle candidate. And this year he went out and I should say throughout the shutdown and into 2021, a lot was written about his work to adjust his swing, change his swing. And all of a sudden he had a breakout year and ended up in the major leagues and is now a top 10 prospect. And, uh, again, a, a solid system with a great reputation for turning out productive big leaguers. I mean, is Lars Newtbar the next Cardinals devil magic mid to late round college guy who ends up being a pretty good big leaguer for a long time? I think so. I mean, and when you talk to opposing evaluators, this is a guy and evaluators within the system. I mean, this is a guy who really just improved mightily, as you said. I mean, it's now a hit tool that a lot of evaluators think is is plus. It's at least above average. Um, he is a really patient hitter. He walks nearly as often as he strikes out. And, you know, there are some evaluators that feel like he's going to be able to tap into more power too. Stum even said he's almost too patient to a fault and that with his uh, six foot three frame, he should be able to, to get more power in the future. And this is a guy who really should be able to, to help the Cardinals this year. Um, you talk about Obviously, they have Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, and, and Dylan Carlson, but Newbar can can pretty much play both corner spots. And, you know, he played 58 games last year on a part-time basis, but I would imagine that he's going to have an even bigger uh, role for the team this year. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he does. Yeah, and also on the vein of him getting better, I should say in the vein of him getting better, Looking back just again at my report and some what we had coming out of USC at the time, he was cleared a below average defender with a poor arm in left field who a lot of people thought would have to move to first base or become a DH. And now he's a guy who can kind of stand in the outfield for you in both corners and, and also potentially play a little bit of first base. I mean, it seems like he's gotten better defensively too. Yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, part of that is he is a good athlete and yeah, he's, he's certainly really worked at every aspect of his game. He's a, become a solid route runner. He covers good ground. And, and yeah, he's got an average average arm strength, which you'll certainly live with if you're the Cardinals. 
Yeah, yeah. Again, the reports in college were below average defender poor arm strength and everything's gotten better. And one of the reports that uh, I remember I made some calls this year and I pulled it back up now just to kind of illustrate how far he's come. Uh, An evaluator who's had Cardinal system coverage for years mentioned, you know, two years ago, he had Newbar as an up and down outfielder, you know, no more than that. He's like, then I saw him this season. I'm like, this guy's better than that. He's gotten better in every facet. He's at least an extra outfielder who stays in the major leagues and, and could be more. And Again, just a testament to the work Lars Newbar put in to, to get better because we talked about people saw the potential for change in college. And a lot of times those guys, it, it doesn't really happen. And he put in the work and it took a couple years, but the breakout happened. And um, I, I know I'm going to be really interested to see what else he can do. Down in the lower levels, there are some interesting prospects. And Mason Wynn has been someone that a lot of people have kind of been fascinated with for a while. Uh, He was another high pick for them in the 2020 draft. And the source of the fascination with Mason Wynn was he was a two-way standout in high school who, with kind of the move to allowing more players to try to play both ways, at least in the minor leagues recently, there was some thought that, okay, you know, let's see if he could do it because uh, he's got a great arm that plays on the mound and he's a great athlete who has shown some potential offensively. Uh, He went out this year and – what were the reviews on Mason Wynn and, and how is he seen now? And how is the two-way experiment, I should say, what, what is the future of it? Well, I, I guess I'd, I'd first just say I challenge you to find a better athlete in the minor leagues. I mean, he's as good as it gets. We're talking about a guy who has the strongest arm of any shortstop in the game, pro or, excuse me, majors or minors. And as far as him as a hitter, I think that's where the concerns come into play. Uh, we're talking about a guy who has below average power, and not only that, but he really struggled, especially towards the end of the year, to hit and to make enough contact. He struggles with spin. Uh, he has a high chase rate. But, you know, this is a kid who's really talented, who's an exceptional athlete. So I think if you're the Cardinals, and I know they feel this way as well, they're going to be patient with his approach, and they want him to have every opportunity to hit. But I know opposing evaluators are pretty concerned that he's going to be able to make enough contact um, to to continue to rise up the levels as a hitter. As far as the pitching goes, I think there's really no question that he could be an impact pitcher. Um, I would assume that it would probably be in a relief role. That's how most opposing evaluators seem to feel. But, you know, it is an upper 90s fastball and a hard slider that flashes plus an average changeup. Um, so he's got – a legitimate pitch mix if, if they decide that they want to have him pitch full time. Obviously, he really focused primarily on being a hitter in 2021, but that's something that they want him to make sure that he gets to, to pitch more in 2022. Yeah, he only made one appearance on the mound for uh, Peoria, and that only lasted one inning. They really, really let him go out and just play shortstop every day and, and really focus on being a hitter. Based on your discussions with evaluators, what was the general likelihood that he would really play uh, a position, forget every day, but even even part-time in the major leagues versus being just a full-time pitcher? What was kind of the general sentiment there about his future? I I think uh, most evaluators thought it was pretty unlikely. Um, They weren't going to write him off completely, obviously, because he's such a good athlete and because he has some really intriguing tools. But because of the the limits with his uh, with his power and with his contact ability. I think there is a, a general amount of skepticism that he is going to be able to make it as a hitter. But again, most feel that he could 
he could definitely make it as a pitcher if he if he uh, decides to go that route. Yeah, I mean, some of the feedback I got was, you know, this is kind of uh, you think back to a Matt Bush type of situation, not not with the off the field concerns, not anything like that, but just in terms of the trajectory. You know, Casey Kelly, you know, plays a little shortstop um, when they start, but ultimately ends up as a full time pitcher. That that has generally been the sense uh, from the evaluators I've spoken to. I do see in our notes there are some others who. He'll say, let's give it a shot, you know, give him another year and see how it goes. Um, but it does seem like there's no question about what he can do on the mound. And there just are more questions about what he can do at the plate. Absolutely. Yeah. And the Matt Bush comparison in terms of on the field is a good one. And it's one that I got to speaking to, to evaluators. And yeah, I think that that really is it. You want to give this guy uh, another uh, chance this season because the talent is there and because, you know, the Cardinals are an organization that have done a great job developing hitters, but it's almost nice to have that, that option that you know that if it doesn't work out, he's still got a great arm on the mound. So I think it's, it's not a bad spot for, for the Cardinals to be in with, with win. Yeah, and then rounding out the top 10, you had two guys in Juan Yepes and Alec Burleson who finished last year in AAA. Yepes got called up for the wild card game. And again, two more guys who could potentially help the Cardinals as soon as 2022 and help bolster a really good big league team. Chris, how many other players were in the mix for the top 10? Was this group your clear top 10? What, what was that process like? These were pretty the pretty clear top 10, um, you know, a guy like Tink Hintz uh, is someone who had the talent to be on there, but we just didn't get to see enough of him. He only made eight appearances in 2021. They were really slow in, in easing him into the pro game. And then someone like Zach Thompson, who experienced a, a large amount of progression, was another candidate who, who made that a little bit easier for me. And, you know, then when you look at Yepes and Burleson, these are two guys who were really hitting, hitting it well. Um, Burleson does it at three levels and, Yepes goes up to Memphis and has 22 home runs. It's 289, and he really, really impressed evaluators with the way that he uh, does a great job of barreling up the ball. He loves fastballs, and he did a, did a better job of controlling the strike zone. Um, he's another guy that I could definitely see uh, handling the DH duties this year because there are some defensive concerns there, but you aren't going to doubt the bat at all. I mean, the, the bat was really proved to be legit this year. You mentioned Zach Thompson. What is the latest on him? He was their first round pick in 2019 out of Kentucky. And everyone always saw the stuff. Uh, the control was a concern and, and injuries were a concern. He went out and again, it was a very aggressive assignment. I think we have to keep that in mind for someone who had only made a, a couple of appearances in the Gulf Coast League and high A in his pro debut. And then his first full season went straight to triple A. So it was a difficult assignment. At the same time, he went 2-10 with an ERA over 7. A lot of hits allowed. Strikeouts well below what you want to see. The walks were elevated. And again, just talking to evaluators, they were, they were very concerned about what they saw, including people saying they saw 87 to 88 with no life. And, and some even thought that he looked like he was hurt and pitching hurt. That's just how difficult of a season it, it was for him. What is the outlook for Zach Thompson now? Yeah, and I got that that same uh, same kind of reports as you did. And people, our evaluators talked about restriction, his shoulder, everything just looked really uncomfortable out there. Um, I think evaluators believe that he can still be a starter, but it's completely contingent on the fact that he gets that velocity back up, and then his curveball, which you know has been a, 
a plus pitch, the velocity was down on it too. Um, and so, you know, the biggest thing for him is just, he's got to get the velocity back up. He's got to show better command and the, the stamina has got to get it a little bit better as well. You know, the fastball was getting hit really hard and the control was fringed to average. So it really felt like everything just went the wrong direction for Thompson. Um, you know, part of that, I'm sure, like you said, it was an aggressive assignment and the Cardinals felt like he made some adjustments as the season went on. But the one chance that he has of being a starter is that, you know, his velocity has got to get up on his fastball and his curveball needs to be a little bit sharper as well. Yeah, I mean, he uh, at times this year was 87-8 with the fastball. That curveball was checking in 69-72 to 72 at times when this was a guy. I mean, but both pitches were – I mean, I remember when he uh, was first drafted and they were just throwing him, you know, one-inning stints. He was up to 97. I mean, he was – we're talking about a 10-mile-an-hour difference here. He did pitch better in the fall league, although it must be noted that was in relief stints. He was starting in AAA and he didn't start a single game in the fall league. Is that – probably the ultimate destination here. Maybe you get him into the bullpen, the stuff ticks up a little more and, and the control issues are not as much of an issue over one inning as they would be over five. I think it's becoming more and more likely that that is the ultimate avenue for him. And especially for a team that could, could certainly use more uh, relief arms. I think that he could really help the Cardinals as soon as this year in that role. Uh, maybe they use him there and then uh, with the plan of ultimately still having him as a starter, but yeah, I think it's become more and more likely that he is going to end up a reliever with the fact that he's struggled with the control and the, the decreasing velocity. Um, those are, are really two two uh, two warnings with him. So. Chris, we've talked about that this system, there's not a lot of depth here. You mentioned the top 10 was the clear-cut top 10. There's a hard delineation after that, and it's, it's a lot of guys who are really, really young or have question marks like Zach Thompson. But – Every system that may not be the deepest has a couple of guys in the 15 to 30 range who turn out to be something, and especially a system like the Cardinals who have this tremendous tradition of, of helping guys really, uh, and you could say overachieve, but in a lot of ways it's really fulfilling their 100% outcomes when, when a lot of other teams struggle to do so. Who are some guys that are maybe in the back half of the system that are intriguing and, and we should maybe be paying attention to to take a potential leap? Sure. Well, the, the first guy I would go with is Gordon Graceppo out of Villanova, who uh, really had an outstanding season in 2021. He's a guy with four average or better pitches, above average control. And, you know, it's sort of a theme with a lot of the arms in this system that the pitchability is really what impresses you with him. Um, he reached high in his debut and, and pitched well there. And he's another guy that attacks hitters and he constantly gets into pitchers counts. His fastball is up to 98. And he's got really good separation on his changeup, which is a high 70s pitch. So this is a guy who should be able to rise, I would think, fairly quickly this year. Um, and then after Graceffo, Andre Pallante, uh 2019 fourth rounder from UC Irvine, his fastball was in the low 90s in college. It was averaging 95.2 miles per hour this year, topped out at 98. He's another guy who pitched really well in the fall league. And, you know, that's a pitch that gets a really high ground ball rate. He's got an above-average slider and a curveball that has sort of a weird shape, but it's got the highest whip percentage of any of his pitches. And he made it all the way to AAA. I think he's another candidate who could possibly make the big leagues by the end of the year. And this was really a breakout year for him. And then Alec Willis, who 
they uh, he was a seventh rounder out of Colorado, and he got a one million dollar bonus to to sign, which should tell you how much they thought of him. But he's six foot five, power fastball that already reaches ninety six. He's got plenty of projection remaining, and then a low eighty slider that evaluators feel like could be a future plus offering, and then a pair of average offerings. He's got a curveball and a changeup, but he's a guy with an easy delivery. He should be able to get average control in the future, and you know, I, I think he'll probably start the year out at low A, but he's someone who I think is is going to probably be a big riser in the, in the system over the next year. Yeah, Willis is interesting. Colorado high school pitchers, it's actually a pretty promising pedigree. Uh, you got a lot of really, really good guys have come out of there. Roy Halladay obviously being the the main one, but also just kind of the the projectable type of pitcher. That's That's a profile the Cardinals have had a lot of success with. You think back to a guy like a Jack Flaherty, big projectable high schooler it's you know it's low 90s at the most for the most part now but you know help those guys get bigger and stronger and everything click he's definitely someone i'm keeping an eye on just given both his pedigree and how the cardinals have worked with pitchers like this in the past yeah absolutely i think he's he's a really intriguing guy and like you said it it fits really well with what the organization um with the way the organization develops pitchers so i think i would not be surprised if willis makes a huge climb up this list by the end of the year. Absolutely. All right, Chris, uh, I guess just as we kind of wrap up here, any any final thoughts on this Cardinals system as a whole? I feel like we've hit on the fact that they've got guys up top, they're a good major league team, and even though the depth may not be as good as it's been in years past, there's still plenty of guys who you can see pop, and you feel good about popping. So on the one hand, yes, the Cardinals are in the back half of the organization talent rankings, which is an unfamiliar place for them. But I also, just from the outside looking in, it just really seems like it's just not an issue and not something anyone should really be worried about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, given the big league success, too, and the fact that they're they're picking late in the first round most years, and they've still done a, a good job of accumulating talent, especially on the pitching side. I mean, they drafted uh, a majority of pitchers in the, in the 2021 draft. And, yeah, you have guys like uh, – Andre Vellante and, and Alec Willis and Austin Love, third-round pick from North Carolina, Zane Mills out of Washington State. They've just done a really good job of accumulating these arms, and a lot of them are guys that should be able to rise fairly quickly. So I don't think the Cardinals fans should be feeling down about where the system's at. I still think it's at a, a pretty good spot. And given the way that the organization develops players, you're confident that, that they'll make the right decisions and make these guys help them maximize the most out of their ability. Absolutely. Uh, the 2022 season will certainly be uh, an interesting one for this system. And, and again, as you mentioned, I think we all expect the Cardinals to be right in the thick of the playoff race again. And a lot of guys in this top 10 will probably be playing a role in that. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your insight as always. All right. Thanks for having me, Cal. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We would love to hear from you. For Chris Tankle. For Chris Trankel, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Mm-hmm.